This is 20th January, um, and Anne Taylor's being interviewed by Derek Hockaday. And I guess you came to the to Oxford in 46, is that right? Up to Oxford. Up to Oxford, yes. yes. You lived here, did you, in fact? Well, my parents had moved to Oxford during the war um, because of the schools, and I was sent to the um, Oxford High School for Girls. Um, you've told me that you entered the medical school in '46, uh, but that before that you'd lived in Oxford and gone to the high school, and that before that your father had uh, won a scholarship to Jesus and uh, had really enjoyed his time in Oxford. During the war, he had volunteered to join the RAF as an um, intelligence officer, and he was stationed in Vista at Vista. And at that time, I was sent off to boarding school. Um, but then they decided to move into Oxford for the schools, and so I had grown up from the age of about um, 15, I suppose, in Oxford, so it was familiar territory. So um, I was duly um, entered for Somerville, which was sort of considered to be the brainy women's yes, right. <laughs> And actually five of us, five girls from Somerville got in, applied to Somerville and got places that year. From so the high school? From the high yes. school. Mm -hmm. So I got, got in for medicine, and in those days uh, there was a quota system, and, um, and women came off rather badly in that. Only, uh, only two uh, women could go from each women's college. There were only five women's colleges anyway. But so there were a total of ten women in the medical school intake. But we seem to be... There seemed to be more of us than that at Somerville. Um, but at that time, there was no medical tutor or physiology mm -hmm. tutor at Somerville. And we were under the care, as it were, of the chemistry tutor, who was Dorothy Hodgkin. Um, who, of course, subsequently won, I think it was the Nobel Prize. Yeah, absolutely. And she didn't ever teach me, but I used to sort of meet up with her twice a term and she, she didn't strike one as being quite amazingly brilliant but she mm. was very very pleasant and mm. um, very self-effacing individual um, and we were what was called farmed out for our tutorials we mm. were sent to the tutors at LMH uh, so um, I duly took first BM mm -hmm. in 1958, I think that would have been. Probably get my dates. 48. 48, <laughs> oh yes, that's right. Um, and in 1949, I took schools, mm -hmm. as was the custom, um, Honours School of Physiology and Biochemistry. And I got a first in schools. And. Um, I think I was the first woman to got a first for ten years or something right, like right, that. Right. But that, of course, there had been others over many years, in, and those women included Janet Vaughan, who, uh -huh. mm -hmm. um, at the time that I was at Somerville, was the, the principal of Somerville. Right. She was quite a terrifying character, uh, rather much, rather like an, an eagle, <laughs> and she would suddenly swoop on one. <laughs> and ask impossible questions. I remember that in the interview, I was interviewed for a scholarship, and Janet looked at me very sternly and said, now, Miss Hughes-Jones, because I was a good Welsh girl by birth, um, 
are you interested in going into academic medicine um, or clinical medicine? Well, I was completely nonplussed yeah. as a 17-year-old. <laughs> A schoolgirl, it never occurred to me that I could do anything than <laughs> medical <laughs> medicine. Practice medicine. So I sat there silently in a state of total confusion. So I fluffed the interview and I didn't get the scholarship. Right, right. Um, and who were your tutors actually for BM? Say? Who did you have, who were you tutored by? Oh, I'd have to think about it. Yeah, well, don't worry. <laughs> and what about schools then? You probably remember those. Well, the man who, the, who, the tutor who really had a big influence on me was Oliver Smithies. Right. Who also, in due course, won the Nobel Prize. Right. <laughs> He's in America now. Right. And was he in zoology or in physiology? No, he was in biochemistry right. at that time. Right. I thought he was a biochemist. And he had a very inquiring mind. He taught me how to think. Mm -hmm. I owe a lot to him. Um, but at the time, I rather despised him because he didn't seem to know anything. <laughs> so he yes. didn't know any physiology. Yeah. <laughs> so you used, to, you used to teach him physiology, did you? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> and what did you think of the school's year? I mean, did you enjoy it? Yes, I did, because one was allowed to just do one's own thing. And my approach to schools was to read very widely around the subject. Mm -hmm. I'd be given a short um, reading mm -hmm. list, but I would go back through the literature by looking up the references at the back, and I'd, I'd read back them, yes. And I remember reading everything that Lashley, who was a neuroscientist, yes had ever writ published. Right. Wow, that's good. Because he <laughs> thought it was all dispersed uniformly through the brain. Yes. Didn't he? Yes, <laughs> so obviously you also... Well, no, I remember Lashley, yes. Lashley. But I didn't read everything he wrote, I must say. Uh, I remember telling Colin Blakemore that I'd once done that as a, as a student and he was sort of shocked, surprised and shocked. Right. I didn't think it would be worth it. And did you enjoy the practical work? No. Right. I was never any good at practicals. Because oh. I didn't really enjoy it. It was the theoretical, the theory that I liked. Yeah. And then you'd have done Path and Back. Well, yes. So, but, um, as was quite common in those days, um, I got married mm -hmm. at that point and um, spent... At that point, Keith, mm -hmm. my husband, Keith Taylor, was uh, doing a registrar job in London. Right. So I took the path of that course from London, and Julie failed one of the papers, which was rather disgraceful. <laughs> <laughs> so then you had to take that again. So I had to take that again. Yes. But that was all right. So then my career was quite interrupted because I... Um, Instead of going straight into the clinical course, I took two years out, and that was because Keith had a job, had jobs in London and then in Bath, and then mm -hmm. eventually back to Oxford in the Wits department, mm -hmm. in Wittery. And um, so then I was enrolled in the clinical mm -hmm. school, which at that time was very small. Um, I can't remember the figures now, but there was something like only about 10 or 12 of us in the year, the clinical intake mm -hmm. of my year. But that was um, very rewarding because mm -hmm. we got a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. And I remember in particular Peter Rimmel, yes, who was a very clever man. Yes, went on to Bradford. Went on to Bradford, yes. didn't he? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, all the teaching was down at the Radcliffe. Everything was down there. There was no John Radcliffe up the hill. And the medical students club, as it were, was in Osler House, mm -hmm. the original Osler House in the Woodstock Road, right next door to the observatory. And um, 
Did I finish the clinical course in one straight swoop? No, I had another couple of boys yes. <laughs> by the time I emerged fully qualified. And then I did the wits house job. Mm -hmm. And after that, I was allowed to do an obstetric house job instead of a straight surgical job. It, it was always a possibility. I mean, everybody, anybody could do that. Could they? Yes. Um, yeah. But no, great. But I negotiated that yeah. and, and did it with, uh, I did Chassamoyer's job. Right. And the advantage of do, doing the professorial jobs was that there were two housemen. Yes. And so <laughs> for a mother with, a, with some, some, the odd small boy or two, it was <laughs> possible to get the occasional weekend off yes. um, to see them. And was Keith working in the witchery yes. during that time? Yes. yes. Largely under the influence of Sydney True Love. Right, yes. Mm -hmm. So when you'd done the two house jobs, then you were registered, then did you go to the Pickering unit? Yes, mm -hmm. then for a while I worked in the Pickering unit and that was in the days that Ian Bush mm -hmm. was in the Pickering unit and Grant Lee was there, right. had come down with Pickering from London, I think. Yes. And Pickering was quite a character totally different from wits of course um, but P Pickering had an intuitive clinical sense in part and he would ask to see the, the, the inspect the vomit mm -hmm. which Pick wits would never have done right. wits wanted one um, laboratory test after another and I found wits rather a sterile right. and difficult man right. But Pickering, you worked clinically with him as well as... No, not really. No, right. Really, no. And what other differences between Pickering and Wits would you mention? <laughs> um, well, Pickering was quite human, whereas Pitt's Wits was on a sort of rarefied plane. Yes. Which he didn't descend from very often. Though those who had worked with him for years revered him, and he was obviously highly intellectual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was your research on then? Oh, some, something so trivial, Derek, that I've forgotten. With Ian Bush, was it, or, or with Grant? No, it wasn't with Grant, it was with, with Ian Bush, yes. and I was measuring some sort of steroids. Well, he was a tremendous chromatographist. It, that's right, he invented paper chromatography. Well, not quite true, but I know he was one of the real pundits. Mm -hmm. And um, he was very keen on the steroids. So you worked right at the end of the corridor. Yes, but I used to go and use some machine, right. uh, which was some sort of scanner mm -hmm. uh, nearer than... Right. Near the main corridor. And the fume cupboards came into life pretty much then. If you were doing chromatography, because some of the solvents were quite noxious, but, weren't yes, they? Yes, yes, and they had to be done in the fume. I've always wondered if they were what sent Ian round the twist, but anyhow, that's another story. <laughs> he may have been a bit like that before him. Right. But, I mean, I worked for him. I was very Did impressed, you? yes. You're a very clever man. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And tremendous widths of spectrum. You know, I mean, he was clever in lots of directions. I didn't realise you had worked for him. Yes. I'll tell you about it later. Um, OK, so you worked with him. What happened after that? Well, um, I've got to get the timing right. Um, Keith got a job in the States basically we were, that was in 1963 of course that we went to the States right. I'm not, I've lost my sense of time at the moment well don't worry <laughs> around about then and um, that was on were you working in the States or well not? not really no because in the States women were not supposed to work right. and at Stanford uh, Keith got offered a nice job as an associate professor at Stanford at Stanford there was a, a, a rule that no two members of the same family could be on the faculty and so Keith got a faculty appointment mm -hmm. and I 
could not have a, a, a serious appointment. So I first of all managed to land a, lab, a job as a lab assistant, uh, which involved sticking stomach tubes down rabbits, uh, rats <laughs> and <laughs> collecting the gastric juice. And then um, I slowly migrated to the renal department because when I was um, a tutor, have I, I missed out being a tutor, appointed a tutor at St Anne's? Haven't you? you have, yes. Yes. <laughs> was, was that before you went to America? Yes. Yes, right. Yes. So not long after I, uh, um, goodness me, I should have thought through the dates properly. It must have been when you were in the Pickering unit. You couldn't have done it as a houseman. As no, a that's right. It was immediately after I'd finished the house jobs and was then working in the Pickering unit, really, in order to sort of maintain some sort of respectability, <laughs> as it were. Yeah. But, but I actually was appointed as the, the, the first medical tutor at St Anne's. Yeah. But I was a lecturer to begin with. Right. And the, in, in those days, there were very few science fellows. In fact, there was only one. She was a zoologist, and she left to go to Edinburgh, to mm -hmm. appointment in Edinburgh. And when she left, I was promoted to the fellowship, to my surprise. So I was a fellow of, of St Anne's for a period of about six years. Yes. And that was a sort of full-time job, was it? Well, no, indeed. It was perfectly compatible with the life of a mother with three <laughs> small boys. Well, no, I understand. <laughs> but you weren't doing anything else. I wasn't. No, you, it, you stopped the pickering work. No, I was doing the pickering work. Right. Before that, I had actually been working with a vet in the Nuffield Department of Medicine, in yeah. the Nuffield Institute. I know, yeah. The forerunner of the... So was that Perry? Yes, Perry. Mm. I'm, yeah, I'm amazed that you met me. No, no, I know. <laughs> and what did you do with Perry? Well, I came out of the obstetrics job yes. with Shasamoa, um, wishing that I could go into obstetrics, but it was really not compatible with being a mother. And um, so I settled on the job with Perry because it was something to was slightly related. And he was working on top so-called toxemia mm. of pregnancy in sheep. Yes, with Geoffrey Dawes. With Geoffrey Dawes. Yes. Uh, Geoffrey was very much on the fringe. Of right. the um, and so I did a bit of work with Parry, and I didn't form a very good impression of Parry. Yeah. He was a pleasant man. And Geoffrey Dawes was sort of becoming more and more peripheral somehow or other. So it was... But at that time, I had my academic respectability was maintained by my appointment at St Anne's. Yes. And it was while I was at St Anne's that the other uh, tutors n nudged me into teaching um, on the kidney mm -hmm. because there were very few people around right. to teach on the kidney. So you read it all up? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then when I got when we got to Stanford, um, I managed to wangle my way into a minor lectureship in the physiology department there, which was pretty much a non job in a non department. But I did a bit of um, I, I introduced tutorial teaching yes. into Stanford, <laughs> which the students loved. Yeah, I bet. Particularly the Chinese students, and there were quite a number of them. Yes. And slowly then, I, I moved into Roy Maffley's renal unit in uh, the Department of Medicine. Uh, there was no real physiology department to speak of no. at Stanford at that time. Well, I mean, Homer Smith and so on, they were all doctors, weren't they, who were doing kidney work then? I think they were. Really, yeah. Yes. And had you enjoyed being a tutor in Oxford? Oh, Did yes, you like, very you much. Like teaching? Yeah, very much indeed. 
In a tutorial, one hour, I mean, did people read an essay to you? Yes. Yes. In the traditional way. But I always felt, in retrospect, that that spent half an hour of the time. It's not a very demanding uh, job from the point of view of the tutor. But there was the tremendous benefit of the personal interaction and being able to pick up on the individual points as the the student read out her essay because they were, this was in the days of women only. You see, mm-hmm. I, I had the advantage that um, at St Anne's they could only appoint a woman because they had started appointing um, admitting men yeah, at sure. that time. And uh, did you have some very bright students? One or two, yes. yes I bet. I remember one particularly bright one. And she taught me about acetyl-CoA. And I <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what it's called these days? <laughs> and have you kept up with them or not? Not those, no, no not, not really. Well, there was one whose daughters ended up at Teddy Hall in my time at Teddy Hall. Right, right. So then you went to America and got to the renal unit eventually, medical. Were you doing clinical work on the renal unit? No, no. Yeah. Um, because I never took the qualifying exams right, for that. Yes, yes. I contemplated doing it, doing them, and I had even even paid the entrance fee to take the exam once, exorbitant sum. Yes. And um, there was some mess up. I didn't get it. Maybe it didn't arrive in time or something, and I was quite pleased if it didn't, because uh, by that time I was completely disillusioned by American meds the medical system um, whereby somebody who had been run over on the street would be picked up in a, a, an ambulance and if they had blue shield blue cross in medical insurance they would be t- admitted to emergency a and e Stanford and if they didn't have it they were driven along another 20 miles towards San Francisco yes, to San Mateo yes. County Hospital yes and I thought, I don't want to practice medicine yeah. in this system. And so I concentrated on research. And so I should tell you at this point that Roy Maffley worked on the toad bladder, the toad urinary mm-hmm. bladder. And he had trained with Leaf, Alex Leaf. So in Boston, yeah. In Boston. He had, you know, good credentials. But he didn't have an original idea in his life. And he was a nice man, but not a research worker, not creative in any way at all. Um, But he did give me a job, and he allowed me to do my own thing. And I happened to have to be a very nice, bright, young Canadian um, medic who was about to turn into a psychiatrist. He was working in the nephrology department, but he was decided to get out Mm -hmm. and go into psychiatry. And getting very, being very bored with what he was reading, he in the library he picked up a book or a, an, an edition of the Journal of Cell Biology, and just found himself reading a paper on the cytoskeleton, on microtubules and microfilaments, and he came back and started burbling about this to me, yeah. and I looked it up too, and we got quite worked. Uh, enthusiastic about it and decided that we were going to try the effects of colchicine and other antimitotic drugs which caused the um, dismantling of microtubules and um, interfere with their action Mm -hmm. um, see what effect it has on the action of vasopressin in the toad urinary bladder so Roy Maffley allowed us to do our own thing and so he, he was an enabler, though he wasn't at all sure we were <laughs> what we were doing. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, when it came to the International Congress of Nephrology in Mexico City, he, he went to, with a pe- and put in, uh, submitted a paper on a very conventional subject, and he didn't want to let me submit my abstract, but somebody else persuaded him to do so. And, uh, of course, my 
thing was actually completely new because nobody had ever thought of doing anything so yes. unusual <laughs> before. And was his accepted as well? <laughs> no, I think mine was accepted. <laughs> I know, I was thought and that might be going to happen. Yes, and at Stanford, if you didn't have a full academic position, you couldn't apply. At that, that, that particular time, you couldn't apply for an NIH grant. Right. In fact, there were some women who had been allowed to apply for NIH grants, but uh, at that point they, they toughened up the rules and they, those people had to give up to... Um, so there was a bit of a women's liberation room movement <laughs> happening at Stanford Medical School. Uh, so I wrote the gr a grant application on my project and Roy Maffley put his name to it yeah. because Stanford wouldn't have accepted it, wouldn't have sponsored it otherwise and he wrote a, dif a different grant application with his name on it too so he submitted to it well, my grant was accepted and his grant was <laughs> not accepted <laughs> so that all the work in the lab went over to my um, my project basically Great. Great. So these were, were quite exciting days because they were exciting days in the field of cell biology. Yes. And there were a lot of meetings of the, uh, the, uh, the cell biologists uh, going on across the country and yeah. I went to many, many meetings. Um, the nephrologists were, were quite interested in what I was doing but didn't quite know what to make of it yeah. to begin with. So then Keith came back to England for a bit, didn't he? Yes, he did. And did you come with him then or not? No, because by that time we had split up. Well, I wonder. And he had already remarried. Right. Okay. So he came back with his second wife. Yeah. And he, but he came back in to an, an administrative job. Right. Um, for the life of me, I can't remember quite what he was doing. Now. Was he clinical tutor, do you think, in the witchery? No, he wanted to be clinical right. tutor, but that was before we left, and David Pike got the job, right. and Keith didn't get the job, and Keith was rather upset about that, yes. and that was one factor that made him decide that he was going to go to America. No, it was, an ac it was a purely institutional and administrative right. okay. um, sort of thing that he was doing later on. Anyhow, he came back to America, but I mean, you went on working in Stanford. Yes, but what happened at Stanford was that Roy Maffley, after the slight embarrassment of my grant being funded and his not, he decided to close the lab. <laughs> I can't have this going on. <laughs> so suddenly I had no job. And um, so, But then I, by that time I had some supporters amongst other nephrologists in San Francisco and ar around the place and even Alex Leaf who was still working I think um, and so I was put up for various mm -hmm. jobs at NIH and at Cornell and I moved to the Department of Physiology at Cornell right. University Medical School which is in Manhattan right um, the main uh, Cornell campus, of course, is up in Ithaca. Well, that's what I thought, yes. Mm. But the physiology was Manhattan. Yes, well, the, the medical school was Manhattan right. because okay. you, the, the rationale being you've got to have a hospital and a medical medical school to train medical uh, clinical sure. students, sure. and they've got to have a population to yeah. serve that needs so it's got to be in a city so Cornell University Medical School was right next door to Rockefeller right on the east side of Manhattan so which was the hospital all one thing right okay yeah physically attached yes yes and the physiology department there was uh, focused entirely on uh, epithelial transport mm -hmm. um, kidney uh, gut and that, that, so, so just your thing just it was a, a wonderful plate research environment to be in so you were working on microtubules did you use to puncture them or whatever people <laughs> did no you can't do that no how did you get the fluid out of them 
no, no, there's no fluid in them. Oh, right, okay. They disassemble when you tri when when the tissue is exposed to antimitotic agents, right. such as colchicine, vinblastin, vincristine. There's a whole series of things. And when still at Stanford, I had done some quite elaborate, over-the-top studies looking at the temperature dependence and all these different drugs, and mm -hmm. they all sort of behave pharmacologically the way they should do, so it looked fairly convincing. Right. Uh, so I and then microfilaments were very much in vogue, and there was only one agent to affect microfilaments, which was cytochalasin, which was an imperfect tool, but um, better than nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I had a very nice modern lab when I moved to Cornell. I was, it just happened that they had extended the building and there were two or three new labs and I got one of them in a very supportive environment. And NIH money? Or uh, yeah, so yes, I had an NIH grant and one had to work hard at that from time to time. But I did do, do that and I gave quite a lot of talks at Federation proceedings, meetings and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very productive, and I, I would have been very good to have stayed, but I, after five years, I thought, I can't live in Manhattan forever. Mm. It's very stimulating and, uh, in, in New York. Such a, there's so much energy in New York, and I actually love New York mm -hmm. um, compared with pa uh, Palo Alto, right. which, of course, is now subsumed in Silicon Valley, but... Um, California's is a nice sort of peaceful place to live if one wants to play tennis. I remember somebody <laughs> saying there's such, such good tennis in California. I was never a tennis player. Um, so I um, applied for a job here in Oxford. In the department or in a college? No, in the department. Yes. So uh, there was a, 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 a uh, there was a, a university lectureship was uh, advertised in the physiology department, mm -hmm. and I managed to land that, that lectureship. And by that time, joint appointments appointments mm -hmm. were the norm. Yes. So if you got the university job, you got allocated to a college. Yes. And so I was that my job was twinned with St Edmund Hall. Yes. So. Uh, when was this? Um, 1980. Right, yep. And so you were the tutor for the medics, so preclinical. Uh, yes, Edmund I Hall. was the preclinical tutor. And did you find things had changed since the no, time you went away? No, not very much. Um, of course, it was wonderful to get back to teaching in a tutorial system, mm -hmm. as opposed to a addressing 70 medical students in the in lecture theatres, which I was what I was doing a little bit at Stanford, though they didn't really think I was respectable and academically respectable enough to give a lecture to a medical <laughs> student. Um, they gave, they let me lecture, give a course of lectures to the nurses <laughs> and to the engineers, I remember. <laughs> but at Cornell you'd have been lecturing to the medical yes, students. Yes, yes, yes. So, if in fact, I mean, that and did you lecture in Oxford? I knew you were tutoring, but did you lecture, in fact? You were yes, so I ran the real physiology course. Yes. And, and as it happened, um, I was lucky to get the job because Colin Blakemore had been um, appointed as professor of mm -hmm. physiology a few, few months or years, a little time earlier. And there was a very good neurophysiologist from Cambridge whom he mm -hmm. would have liked to have got the job. You're running out of time. No, no, not at all. I'm just um, taking my specs off. And um, I, they needed, they didn't know it at the time, but the, the, the man who was teaching, uh, doing the renal physiology was Victor Cox. And oh, yes. Remember Victor? Yeah. I mean, he wasn't really a renal physiologist. <laughs> he, he worked largely on body fluid body fluid volumes, extracellular fluid yes, volume, yes. that sort of thing he was interested in. Right. 
And when I got, when I arrived in the job, people would ask me, why, why don't you set questions on extracellular fluid volume? And I said, well, nobody is interested in that. Nobody's working on it. <laughs> Whereas there are all these amazing data coming out of American um, labs and a micropuncture of individual renal, tu renal tubules. Yes. And Did you do micropuncture then? No, I didn't. I stuck true. with the toad bladder. Yeah, right, yes. Of which there was a lot of publication, wasn't there? I mean, yeah. it was a very useful tool. I remember trying to set it up actually without much success, but anyhow, yeah, yeah, that's another thing. And um, well, Leaf actually spent a sabbatical in Oxford in I Krebs's believe. unit, yes. In whose unit? Krebs, I think. Yes, I think you're right. In mm. biochemistry, yes. that's yeah. right. That was before I got came back to Oxford. But um, now you're. Um, course in renal physiology was that pre in the first two years or was that in the honor school all of those yes great so when I was at Cornell um, the, the rule in the physiology department the the head of the department at that time insisted that every faculty member should sit through every lecture so <laughs> they would know because there was sometimes group sort of class <laughs> teaching. Yes. And so we, we all had to go, so we did sit through them all. And there was an excellent lecturers like Barry Brenner from um, Harvard and there were people, because they were, lo they were the local, the, the resident staff as it were, but also visiting lecturers, lecturers came in. So I assiduously took notes thinking one day maybe yes. I'm going to be giving these lectures. Maybe one day I'll give the, be giving these lectures in Oxford. I don't think I ever dared to dream of that. But anyway, when I got the job, I had these wonderful notes from these very, very um, excellent, highly regarded people. So it wasn't difficult to take over. And what happened was that Victor Coxon died of a coronary yes. within a year of my return. Right. Or I think uh, he'd retired, but then he, he died. Yes, he died. He yes. died in the job. Right, OK. Yes. Oh, I see. You came over no, while he was still in no, the department. No, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm confusing things there. I didn't come... I'd been appointed, of course. But then there's always an interim period, so I thought probably it was nine months later yeah. I hadn't turned up for the job, because I remember getting a letter from Colin Blakemore saying, oh, we're sorry to have to tell you that Victor Coxon died mm -hmm. unexpectedly. Yeah. And um, so in any future correspondence, you'll need to talk to Charles Michel, right. who will sort of take over from, from him in, gen, in terms of general arrangements. And so in a way, it was lucky that I, that I, they had given me the job, that the, the um, appointments committee had appointed me rather than the neurophysiologist mm. because of course the department was stuffed with neurophysiologists. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I was able to just step in like that with these prefabricated lectures. Would you say your return to this country was partly because of your parents? Yeah, my mother was still alive at yes. that point because yes. she was 90 and had, had, had um, my brother had arranged for her to go into a home because she was still living in a large house in St Margaret's Road, mm -hmm. quite inappropriate for her at that age. And um, so there she was. And so I was relieved. That was um, that was really one of the main reasons why I... Because I wouldn't have left such a good job and such a good department. No, I wonder. Yeah. And um, how many changes that you see in Oxford, so say 20 years, you must have been in the department 20 years or more. Since I came back? Yeah, 1980 onwards. Yes, I retired in 95. Right. 15 years. Yeah. Well, not, not a lot really. Uh -huh. Oxford doesn't change much. <laughs> <laughs> well now, Blakemore was there and George Gordon was there, because George used to I loved George, because yes. he was my tutor at one time. I see. Yes, right. when for I was schools. at Somerville. Yes, he mm -hmm. taught me for schools in Euro. 
And what did you think of that? Well, George was delightful, but he wasn't the most high-powered tutor. Fine. No, no, okay, yeah. fine. I'm not disputing that. I'll tell you more. Mm. And, and um, anyhow, he sometimes ran the department when Blakemore was off somewhere, all concentrating on his experiments, I think, in physiology. He was the sort of stand-in head of physiology at times, George. Well, he was, anyhow, but was he may he? have been yeah. before you came back. Mm. Um, no, he's a nice man. And who else was there that you remember? Um, well, I remember David Whitridge because yes. David was, uh, but of course he had got he wasn't there anymore. David Whitridge went to Edinburgh, didn't he? Yes. Um, now you reckon he was high powered, would you? He was quite high powered. <laughs> yes. And a bit frightening in a way. Correct. Uh, yes. But he had um, taught me as an undergraduate and had examined me in schools. Right. So, I mean, you went to tutorials with both George and Whitridge. Yes, I did. I mean, would you sometimes go to one person for a bit of the term and then another for the rest of the term? Or? Well, yes, but um, what was Whit gosh, what was Whitridge teaching? Well, I mean, George was definitely yeah, peripheral was sensation. Yes. And Whitridge might have been a bit higher up in the near axis, I don't <laughs> yes. know. Was Whitridge a neurophysiologist? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. I knew him quite well, and I knew his wife well, yes. too, but I'd forgotten that. Because she could read Harvey's writing, couldn't she? His wife. Oh, really? Yes, that's her great claim to fame. I bet I never heard that. Right. Mm. right. And um, do you think that the... Oxford system was a good one, or was I mean, there were people who wanted to do clinical medicine. Many of them. Did you think it was right they were all going through the schools here? Yes, I think it exercised their brains and forced them to think a bit. Yes, yes. And just the way that um, Oliver Smithies got me thinking, and I wasn't agitating to get on and get qualified, but um, although it might have suited me in certain ways, I and I think everybody was perfectly happy to have that extra year in Oxford, did you? Mm, I do. Yes. <laughs> and indeed, there were some, George was one of them, who thought that what you should do was do two years for first BM and then do your path and back and have four terms for schools. Oh, yes. I mean, did you fight for that in any way at any time? No, I've never heard of that option. Right, right. But that would have been good, because there was that extra term hanging around, wasn't there? Yes. Because path and back was, if you didn't fail it, <laughs> it was a two-term thing. George was so sweet. He, he invited me to dine in Brazeners several times. He lived in Killington, of course. Yes, so round the corner in the moors. Yes, that's right, yes. Twenty of the moors. Twenty of the moors, was yes. it? Yes, no, I've never... On the corner. Oh, it's a corner, yes. Did you go and see him there yes. sometimes? Yes, yes. I've never been able to find anybody to work out who, where he did. Right, that's, that was where that it was. was it. Yes. And, um... Was George married? Oh, yes, to Peggy. And Peggy was a senior... Uh, what we used to call almoners, I mean, they probably yes. stopped going on. She was a senior lady almoner, and I believe a very good one. Mm -hmm. And I know Judith always remembers her saying that, of course, what we really need to be able to do with these people is give them a five pound note, which is <laughs> <laughs> much better than a lot of advice. <laughs> yes. yes. And George, they, of course, had serious academic credentials, didn't he? Because his father had been vice president of Magdalen, I think. Yes, yes. He was a professor of English. Who and, was he? And in one of his essays, in a little book called The Discipline of Letters, he um, writes, illness is in itself a form of inefficiency. Well, that's obviously true. But, you know, George got tuberculosis when he was a clinical. Did he? I think either a houseman or... I think probably a houseman. Because he did Joe, Pennyba um, Joe Pennybacker's job, but I don't think it was Cairns. And um, no, it must have been Cairns and Pennybacker. And he had tuberculosis and had to take, take off. And I think then, in those days, you'd say that 
you know, if you had tuberculosis, you weren't fit enough to do clinical medicine. And I think he always really regretted all that. Did he never do clinical medicine? No. Except for those house jobs that I mentioned. Oh, yes, he did yes. that, yes, yeah. but he didn't actually. No, he didn't go on, he, you he see, did, after. You think yeah. he would have liked to have done that? I think so. Were you up at BMC? Yes. Slowly tricking to them. Okay, and anything else you'd like to say? I feel I've said quite a lot now. Well, you have, but <laughs> anything else that I should have asked you about? How much support did you get with the children? I mean, did you hire nannies or yes. neighbours? Yes. So what we actually did, um, when I started um, the clinical course, mm. and um, it was when I started the clinical course, my father had died of a coronary and my mother was living in St Margaret's Road so she was recently widowed and uh, she, the house was uh, very big but she had some lodgers in it but um, Keith and I between us, it mainly Keith's idea actually, he thought well we move in to the St Margaret's Road house with my mother. It was very hard on my mother. <laughs> My, my, I always feel my mother had a dog and Keith forced her to get rid of the dog because there was some scare at that time about what you could pick up from yeah, dogs. Yes. I can't remember what that was. Toxoplasmosis. Toxoplasmosis. Mm, yes. So we moved in with my mother and, the, and she was a, a priceless backup and I also employed a, what was called a mother's helper. Yes. And that mother's helper um, lived with us there in the St Margaret's Road house uh, for many years. And then, uh, funnily enough, when I came back from the States, I found her handing out glasses of sherry in the front court at Teddy Hall. Hello, at your college, good <laughs> That's a tremendous coincidence. Extraordinary. And she was actually looking after the principal, John Kelly, the. the he was a somewhat notorious principal, but he was a great character. And when he retired, she looked after the principal's lodgings, and when um, he retired, he moved into a house that he'd bought in Crick Road, and he asked Maureen, her name was, to um, go on helping and looking after him. And eventually, I said to Maureen, um, who'd become a family friend over all the years, I said, when John Kelly doesn't need your services anymore, please will you come and look after me? So in recent years, she has been to help me here in the house. Great. Very, yeah, that's lovely. Yes, I'm still in touch with her, but she doesn't do it anymore. Now, when you came back around 1980, were Teddy Hall taking women? I was the first woman fellow of Teddy Hall. Right. What about undergraduates? There were one or two. Right. Yes. Yes. So they started taking women in 1979. Right. And a, a few women had sneaked in as graduate students before mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. But uh, Teddy Hall was not one of the first colleges to admit women. And they were good at rugger. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and still are. That still has re repercussions to this day. I mean, do you see that affecting admissions at Teddy Hall? No, not really.
Um, Durrington, I mean, when you were an undergraduate, really the relationship between the preclinical and the clinical departments was pretty scant. So, did you go to Alex Cook's demonstrations when you were a preclinical? He used to demonstrate cases and draw physiological stories from them. For, for preclinical students? Yeah. No, I'm not aware of that. Really? And then when you'd come back, you know, 1980, would you say or did you see a change in the relationship between the preclinical and clinical schools? Did they get together more or not, really? Not really. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I feel, actually. <laughs> yes. But of course we had clinical tutors. Yes. Who were appointed. Yes. Um, that was a change, of course. Mm -hmm. Well, Alec Cook, of course, I remember, and I remember the house he lived in in Woodstock Road. But and he was wonderful. I mean, there were many wonderful characters from that time when we were students. Yes. Um, he he was a pillar of the consultant amongst the consultants at the Radcliffe, wasn't he? Yes. Yes. More so than wits, frankly. Right, okay. Yes. No, no, I, I know what you mean. What about Pat Malam? Oh, well, <coughs> he was just accepted as a jovial <laughs> drunk, I think. <laughs> jovial alcoholic, let's put it that way. Yes. Because yes. he did reel around rather. Which of the surgeons do you really remember? Oh, well, of course, one can't uh, help remembering Ted Maloney, but he used to come in and give le lectures and bring, bring out Bailey in Love and open it at page 25 or whatever yeah. and read out the yeah, text. Yeah. Extraordinary. He, sure. he was a character. Yes. <laughs> and Tim Till. And Tim Till, who hunted, yes. rode to hounds. <laughs> and... Um, then it was the other one who was a very upright surgeon, whose name escapes me at the moment. Is it beginning with a C? Yes. It's 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 not Cope, but it's like Cope. But he was he was very much um, a pillar am amongst the. Oh well, the other there was another one. Oh, Elliot Smith. Elliot Smith. That's yes. who I was thinking of. Yes. And the other one beginning with C. Mm -hmm. What was his name? And no, no, I can't yeah, remember. I, I knew it, but well, he was quite sort of withdrawn. Yes, but he was an efficient surgeon. I think. Yes, yes. But Elliot Smith was one felt very reliable. Yes. Very reliable. Yes. Right. And Joe Joe Pennybacker, did you? You must have been attached to that yes. firm a little, and um, the neurologists for that matter. Richie Russell, do you remember? Richie him? Russell, I remember Richie Russell. Mm -hmm. They all seem to be very um, distinguished and upright men, those men yes. to me. Yes, no, I agree. There were no women consultants, as I remember them, except, of course, there had been Alice. Yes, and Sheila Callender was yes, a sort was. of consultant. Yes, she was. Yes. Do you remember her and yes, her I work? Do. Yes. Yeah, because Keith worked in the Wittery for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and you did as a husband. Yeah. Because who did you really work for? Was it Wits all the time or True Love or Sheila Yeah, no, As a matter of fact, when I did the house job, Wits was on leave mm -hmm. and um, Pickering uh, took over that, that as he was doing a sort of trial run. Really? Oh, I see. From Mary's. Yes. From Mary's still. Yes. Right. So he filled in for wits. That must have been interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay, and anything else you'd like to say? Reminded me now of sisters. There were various fiery sisters on the on the wards in those days. Though I don't remember their names anymore. But, of course, in those days we could rely heavily on the sisters and charge nurses mm -hmm. to teach us as house officers yes. to teach us what to, we needed to do. Yes, no, indeed. I don't think that's quite like that anymore. No, no, I, don't. I think that's right. And the matron, too. <laughs> and the matron. 
although I never knew the matron. But no, individual people didn't really know her, but I think she had a real influence going round. But no, the the sisters and and the charge nurses were marvellous, weren't they? Yeah, they were both very, they were all very, very well informed. And John Badenoch, was he there? Yes, he was. Mm -hmm. I still see Anne Badenoch, his wife. Uh, Do you? From time to time, because she was one of four sisters. Yes who all became nurses in the old spirit of nursing yes. and they all married doctors so the uh, Anne, Badenoch, Anne married John Badenoch one married um, the Cairns, Hugh, Hugh Cairns right, right. and John Cairns is uh, now living in Oxford actually, the son mm-hmm. um, one married Alan Clementson, who was Keith's best friend at Magdalen, right. a contemporary of his at Magdalen, and who had emigrated to California just before we did, and then moved to New York when I moved to Cornell, and so I made the, you know I became very close to the Clementsons, mm-hmm. and so now I sort of see the the other Clement the other sisters, right. yes. and one married Matthews. Brian Matthews, who was, of course, a fellow of Teddy Hall. Yeah, was he? So you saw him? So I saw him. He was on the interviewing panel. (laughs) So I think I owe quite a lot to Brian for um, my getting the job at Teddy Hall. Well, no, because he was sort of attached, as you were saying. Yes, it was a formal joint appointment. But still, the college had to. If the college said no, then the university could not appoint there. Selected candidate. I, uh, Colin, I found Colin Blakemore could be. I mean, he was a mere boy, of course, when he first got the chair. Mm-hmm. But he's now an emeritus, an emeritus fellow of Magdalen. He's quite ancient, and he's got a knighthood. Frankly, finally now, because they denied him a knighthood before. Right. having been head of the MRC and played a big role in the sort of public relations of um, animal research. Yes. He was very good and highly articulate, Colin. He was always late, was that wrong? Yeah, he was a bit of a boy. (laughs) (laughs) But he was always very nice to me and he never held it against me that I got the job in the department when he wanted this neurophysiologist. Yes. No, I'm sure he wouldn't. Yes. I got wake up partly, of course, because Victor Coxon died, and so he, he was grateful that somebody could step in and yeah. be the teacher. Well, I think I'll close down then. Thank you very much. That was very interesting indeed. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thank you.